0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. Now, we are working our way through a series in the book of Philippians. Philippians 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and Ben's going to come and read that passage for us. Thanks, Ben. Come and grab this uh, microphone right here. I'm sure Josh won't mind if we move all this around. There you go. Uh, So this is Philippians 4, verses 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me ...or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Thanks, Ben. Okay, I want to do a little thought experiment as we start this morning. I want you to imagine that up on the screen here, there is currently playing a continuous loop of all your thoughts over the past week. i right, just think about that for a minute. Uh, have a think about what you've been thinking about over the past week and what that loop might look like on screen. Uh, what sort of rating we might have to put on that. Um, it's, uh, every thought, uh, the, the little fleeting thought that came through your mind um, and then the thoughts that were lodged in your mind you've been going back to all week, you know, the stuff, what have you been rerunning in your mind week after week or day after day Every, every idea that you've had, every brainwave that you had this week, uh, every little tiny little thought, every fantasy, every genius thought, every thought you didn't even know where it came from, they're all just running up on the screen now in this loop. Now, what would your response to that be? Yes. Some of you might have to leave the room. Some of you would probably have to leave the country and get a new identity. it would be humiliating. We, we would be mortified, wouldn't we? if suddenly pub, there was public viewing of all the thoughts that were going on in our head because we just rely on the fact that we can put up whatever sort of you know external we want to and our thoughts are locked away, out of, out of reach, out of viewing of anyone else. And the thought that other people would see our thoughts is pretty horrendous. When you think about it, though, of course, that loop that you can imagine rolling around on screen... Isn't that exactly what God sees? Like, God does see that all the time. He sees what you're thinking right now, what you're thinking about this sermon right now. He sees everything. Uh, all of those thoughts, They like the Bible says, he perceives our thoughts from afar. So he knows all that you are thinking. In fact, he knows it before you think it, and then he sees it when you're thinking it. What is interesting to me, though, and I don't know whether this is just me, but are you more concerned by the fact that other people could see your thoughts, or by the fact that God sees your thoughts? Like, I think for me, it's other people. Like I'm more embarrassed about the thought that you might think or know my thoughts than I am about God seeing my thoughts. You know, like we're, we're mortified by the idea that another human being might know what we're thinking. But God, it's like, well, He knows what I'm thinking. He's and He knows everything. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder whether it reflects the fact that we we don't really think God cares that much about our thoughts. Maybe we think God is is kind of more focused on our actions. Like God cares about our external lives. He cares about what I do. He cares about what I say. He cares about my deeds and my works. But does God really care that much about what's going on in my mind? Like it's so murky in there anyway. There's so much going on in there. Does God really care what's happening in my head? Isn't he more concerned about what's coming out in my character? Well, think about when Jesus was asked this question, what is the greatest command in the Bible? Some of you know that passage. He was asked, what is the greatest command in the law? And what did he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus tells us that we should love God with our mind. I think we, we focus a lot on the first two. We, we want to love God with our heart. That's good. We want to love God with my soul. But what about loving God with your mind? Do you think much about that? It often tends to be just off limits for us. And yet this is, Jesus said, this is the most important command in the Bible, to love God with our heart and our soul and our mind. And I think what Paul is doing in this passage is he's taking that little bit of Jesus' command and he's unpacking it for us. And he talks about what does it mean to love God with our mind. It's like a commentary on that part of Jesus' command. Jesus said to love God with our minds, and Paul says, well, here's what it looks like in practice. So he's speaking to us about our thought life. He's speaking to us about what is going on in our heads all week, the life of our mind, and how we can truly love God with our mind. And if I can give you just one image to start and think about as we go through this message, just an image to hold on to. Think about your mind like a garden. Okay, Think about your mind like there, there are always things growing in our minds. Okay, so, so there are things planted in your mind right now. And what's growing? There are going to be some good things, some beautiful things that are planted in our minds, and then there's going to be a whole lot of rubbish that's planted there as well. And as we go through this journey of looking at what Paul says, you just think about your mind as a garden and think of what is planted there right now and then what might need to be cleared away and maybe some new things. That might need to be planted by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what Paul says a little more closely. Uh, in verse 8, what he, what he basically does is he gives us a whole list of things that should characterize our, our thinking. And that, that whole verse is a list of virtues, what is true, and noble, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. And uh, I'll put, we'll put them up on screen just so we can see, and, and I want you to see these at a glance. These are virtues that would have been commonly understood in the Roman world. They would have been virtues. Most people would sign on to these virtues, whether you were a follower of Jesus or not. They were just common virtues. Most people would look at those and say, yep, that's, those are the kinds of things that I want to characterize my life. But Paul is not talking about these just in a general sense. He's talking about these in a theological sense, because the whole point of thinking about these things is because when you look at that list— Those things characterize who God is. Like, this is part of the point. When you look at that, it's not just that these these should be the things I think about. The reason for that is because this reflects the character of God, doesn't it? Like, God is true. God is noble. God is right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. That's God. So the basis of what Paul is saying is grounded in the character of God. It's not just that we should think good thoughts. This is not just positive thinking. This is not just kind of self-help psychology. This is our thought life should be based on the character of who God is. And we, it's, that doesn't mean you're always thinking specifically about God, but it means that your thoughts should have a quality about them that reflects Who God is and God's character. So, when you look at that list and you think about that in relation to your thought life, Paul says we should think about things that are true. So, do your thoughts reflect what is true? And not just true from your perspective, true from God's perspective. Do your thoughts line up with what is true and the way God sees truth? Our thoughts should be noble. That means they they are honorable. Are your thoughts honorable? In the same way God is honorable, would God say that your thoughts are honorable? Are your thoughts right? Did they line up with God's standard of rightness, God's standard of justice? And what is right? Are your thoughts righteous? Are your thoughts pure? Well, there's a tough one. Now we're getting uncomfortable, aren't we? Do we entertain immoral thoughts, lustful thoughts, impure thoughts? Do Do we seek to have the quality of purity in our thought life? Are our thoughts lovely? That word sort of has this this quality of being pleasant and pleasing. Would you say your thoughts generally are lovely? Would God say that most of the thoughts that you have are lovely? Is that a word he would use to describe your thought life? Are your thoughts admirable? Would God admire what you spend your time thinking about? Are your thoughts excellent? That's kind of a catch-all word. Describing all of these other things. Do you, is there a quality of excellence about what you are thinking? Do you think virtuous thoughts? And are, you, are your thoughts praiseworthy? Not just praiseworthy that you think they're praiseworthy, but would God praise those thoughts that you have? Are your thoughts worthy of commendation? Are they worthy of praise by God? Now, that's a pretty high bar, isn't it? How many of you can put your hand up and say, yep, my thoughts always reflect all those qualities all the time? 100%. Yeah. Well, you, you might be thinking some other thoughts <laughs> if that's the case. Um, the problem is we look at that list and we just all fall so miserably, miserably far short of that, don't we? If we were looking at that continuous loop of your thought life and then we put up those words beside it, how much would that match up? Not so much. And I think where we need to start with this is to acknowledge there has only ever been one person who's lived up to this. There has only ever been one person whose thoughts have always been true noble, right, and so on. And was that? Jesus. Do you think about Jesus' thought life very much? It's an interesting thought to have. The thought life of, like we think about Jesus' actions and his miracles and his healings and his teachings, but think about what was going on in his mind, that his thoughts were always true. They were always noble. They were always right. Now, that, some of you that were here last week, you're like, well, hang on, but you said Jesus got anxious. Yeah, absolutely, Jesus got anxious. Jesus got nervous. Jesus was tempted. Jesus had all of those feelings. But the point is that he brought those feelings to the Father. He didn't allow those thoughts to define him and consume him and then spiral downwards. He brought all of his thinking to the Father so that his thought life continually was focused on those things that reflected the character of God. So Jesus had a thought life that was excellent and he thought praiseworthy thoughts, and he thought noble thoughts, and his mind was pure, 100% pure. So Jesus has already done for us what we can never do for ourselves. He has already lived the perfect life of the mind. And then when Jesus died, he died for your sin, not just the sins that you've committed outwardly, but guess what kind of sins he died for? The sins of your mind. Do you think about that? That on the cross, the sins that were nailed to Jesus were the sins that were going on between your ears. Those sins are just as serious to God. I think we assume it's only kind of my outward actions that matter. No, Jesus died for all of your untrue, unright, unnoble, unpraiseworthy, unadmirable, impure thoughts as well. And those are just as much sin before God, and they needed atoning at the cross, and that's what Jesus has done. So where we can start in this whole discussion is to say, even though we don't live up to this list, and we don't, that we are forgiven by Jesus. Because he's renewed our mind and he's lived the perfect life of the mind for us. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to start to fill your head with thoughts of guilt, thoughts of condemnation, and thoughts of shame. And is that true? Helpful? Noble? Admirable? No. So it just gets worse. Rather than spiraling downwards, begin and end with the grace of God. Jesus has saved you. He's saved your mind, not just your soul. And we can start from that place. Now, as those who are saved and freed and forgiven, now we ask the question, what does it mean to love God with my mind? How can I worship God with my mind? How can I love God in the way that I think? But I'm doing that from a position of knowing that I'm already saved and secure in the arms of God, right? So how do we outwork this practically? What does it mean to start setting our mind on these things by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, to, to get into this, we need to think a little bit about something called self-talk. Some of you heard of this? Yeah, some of you spend a lot of time thinking about this. Some of you have never heard of it. Self-talk. Self-talk are the thoughts that are rolling around in your mind all the time. Right? So all the time. Your mind is like an engine, constantly. You are thinking a whole lot of things. And the thing is, you don't realize you're thinking a whole lot of things. Even now, you're thinking a lot of things that you're not actually thinking about. It's kind of like driving a car. Once you've learned to drive a car, so much of what you do is just second nature. You don't consciously think about it. You're not thinking about when you brake and accelerate a lot. You're not thinking so much about uh, judging uh, distance and so on. It's just second nature. That's like your thoughts. You have conscious thoughts that you're focusing on, and then you have background noise. The thing is, the background noise matters because the background noise is shaping you. And the background noise is influencing you. And the background noise is contributing to who you are becoming. So we need to pay attention to our self-talk. You need to pay attention to those thoughts that are just whirring around in your mind. Thoughts about yourself. Thoughts about your situation. Thoughts about your relationships. Thoughts about your future. Thoughts about other people. Thoughts about God. Even as I'm talking, I want you to tune in to that self-talk. Once you pay attention to it, you can start listening to it. You can start hearing it. But just start thinking about your thinking. What is that self-talk like? I'll give you an example for me. So one of, the, one of the big struggles that I've had in ministry is that for years and years and years, when I have finished preaching a sermon, here is what the, the process looks like. I would walk off stage and for the next 48 hours, 24 hours maybe, I would have thoughts of, embarrassment, thoughts of self-doubt, right? I'm just being vulnerable with you now, okay, as your pastor. Uh, Thoughts of that was, why did I say that? What a stupid thing to say. Why didn't I say it like that? Why did that come out like that? Those people probably think I'm ridiculous. All of this kind of stuff. Now, now, I, I now see that for what it is, which is the attack of the evil one in my life, right? That's, I mean, because the The evil one is going to attack your mind, isn't he? He's going to go after you however he can. He's going to exploit every weakness you've got, including your mind. And he is going to start to sow seeds of self-doubt and self-rejection and self-hatred, just like he has with me. And so a very wise counselor sitting in the fourth row here once said to me, you've got to put down the stick that you are beating yourself with in your mind. And that's exactly what I was doing. And I still struggle with this, but I'm learning a lot and I'm growing, is that I would... After every sermon, I would get out a big stick mentally and I would just beat myself up. Some of you relate to this? You know, it's not just a preaching thing, is it? Like in all sorts of areas of life, this is what we do. We get out the big stick and we just start whacking ourselves. And we are just brutal on ourselves. And it can be as small as one word that you said that you feel like you shouldn't have said and then you just, your mind just goes back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. And you can't get off it. That's where I lived for a long time. By the grace of God, I'm finding some freedom from that now. But I've had to tune into my self-talk. I've had to listen to what I was saying to myself. And then I've had to introduce some new thoughts. And you can do this too. I've had to begin saying some new things to God. God, I leave that with you. I leave that message with you. When those thoughts come in, and they still come in, I can say, God, I just release that to you. And I release that message to you and I put it into your hands and I can move on. I don't have to go back to it and back to it and live back in that space. God, I can move forward and I can move forward in your freedom and trust you. And that is the new thinking that I'm trying to introduce into my old thinking. Now, that's, I know that's my story. That's not your story. But what is your story? What are those areas of self-talk that you need to do a course correction on? What, what are you saying about yourself? Come on, you know. What do you say? What are the lines that you just keep rolling around in your head? I am useless. All right, is that some of you? I am unattractive. I am incompetent. If people knew who I really was, they would, they would hate me. If people knew what I've really done, they would hate me. I don't belong. I'm not lovable. Some of you, this is hitting home because that is your self-talk and it's like a broken record around and around and around. You know, one of the things that's helpful to do is to write out what that lie is. And it is a lie. Write it out on a bit of paper. Because there's something about putting that down on a bit of paper that then it's outside of your own head. As long as it lives in your own head, it feels like it's got this tremendous power over you. You write it down and then suddenly it's like bringing it into the light. You can see it for what it is, and you can name it for what it is. That is a lie of the devil. You've actually got to call it that, okay? Let's just be honest. That is a lie of the devil. And then beside that lie, you write the truth. You write the true statement that counters that lie. What, what is the truth? Some of you have a hard time even figuring out what the truth is because you've just been thinking the lies so much. What is that truth? I am loved, I am chosen by God. I do belong. My situation is not hopeless. Some of you need to hear that this morning. It's not hopeless. You feel like it's hopeless. It's not. I am not a victim. The future does not have to be the same as the past. God has not abandoned me. Now you decide it, that that may be a truth that you write out there. Sometimes it might be a promise simply a promise from scripture. God is for me and not against me. Gee, that's powerful. Now that becomes your new mantra. That becomes your new you say that to yourself over and over again. Sometimes I find it helpful to say it out loud. Right? Maybe when no one else is around so you don't look silly, but you just say it to yourself. You've got to speak this into your own heart, people, don't you? You've actually got to get this into your bones. But if you just if you just ignore it and you just try and push the old thoughts out without introducing any new thoughts, the old thoughts will just come back. You've got to fill the void with new ways of thinking. That thinking can come to us from scripture and it can be the truth that counteracts the lies. So you've got to ask yourself with your self-talk, does it really reflect those qualities? What's going on in your head right now? And what are some of the truths that you need to start planting in your mind in order to grow something new in that garden? What about the thoughts you've got about other people? Yeah, some of you, this is more relevant. The thoughts, I think we tend to excuse the way we think about other people because it's not actually an action, is it? It's like, well, you can be perfectly nice to someone, and yet in your mind, you are crucifying them. Is that right? Just like, you know, right now. You know, you, you can be perfectly pleasant, can't you? People in church, you know, how's it going? So good to see you. In your mind, you're thinking, man, I'm just, you know, I wish I hadn't seen you. You know, it's great. How are your kids? It's like, man, you know, shame they've got you for a parent. You can be thinking all sorts of things in your mind, and you're perfect, you're, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Nice Guy on the outside, and on the end, in- you know how this works. Don't look at me like you don't think you know what I'm talking about. On the inside, you are just cutting them down you're just slaying them on the inside but because you are all nice on the outside you feel like this is fine we're good you know and and the problem for christians is that we excuse sins of the mind much more than we excuse sins of the flesh we care about sins of the flesh we don't care about the sin of the mind and it's just as serious to god So for some of you, that's the self-talk. You need to get a hold of those thoughts that you're thinking about that person, that friend, that relative, that parent, that child, that pastor, that whoever, and start thinking in some different ways and start reminding yourself of some of the good things about that person. And if nothing else, that God loves them, even if you can't. And honestly, sometimes if that's too hard, then you just need to think about something else. Stop thinking about them altogether get your mind out of that space and start doing your five times tables to distract yourself from this mental loop that you are just completely entrenched in. So we've, we've got to be intentional. This is the power of God working in our lives, but we need to take some steps to say I'm not just going to bury my mind in this filthy stuff. I'm going to get my mind out of this space and I'm going to start thinking about those qualities and how much that lines up with my thought life. Can you see how this applies to your life? No, none of you struggle with this. Okay, okay. I think this is all of us, right, if we're real and honest. The problem is it's so hidden and it's so unseen. But it's the battleground, isn't it? This is the battleground of our lives, the battle of the mind. Now, let me take this into a slightly different space for a couple of minutes. When you look at these qualities that Paul talks about, our thoughts don't come from nowhere, do they? Our thoughts don't just exist in a vacuum. Our thoughts are influenced by what's coming at us and what's coming into us from the outside, So all day, every day, you are exposed to all sorts of stimuli, and that is shaping your thought life. It's having a huge influence on your thoughts. So these are not just qualities that reflect your thoughts themselves. These should reflect the things you set your mind upon. These should reflect the things around us that we allow to occupy our minds and our attention and our mental space. So that what we're doing is guarding the gateway. You guard the gateway to your mind. If you just let a whole lot of rubbish in and then you try and think along these lines, that's hopeless. We've got to think about what is coming in. What is coming in through your senses that is contributing to a healthy thought life? Now, I think there's a couple of ways you can look at this. There's a positive and a negative. Let's start with the positive. The positive is there's a lot of things around us in our world and in our culture that are really worthy of us setting our minds on. I think more than we realize a lot of the time. Sometimes I think there's a mentality among Christians that the world is just bad, altogether bad. It's like church, good, world, bad. And I think that's a faulty way of thinking. I think there is common grace, there is the providence of God, there is the goodness of creation, and there are human beings made in the image of God. And as long as all of those doctrines are true, then we will find good things to celebrate and affirm in all kinds of spaces. Outside the church and outside the Christian community, there will be goodness. There is truth. There is beauty. And there are things that you can set your mind upon. So look for the good. And affirm it and spend time thinking about it. Tom Wright talks about this in uh, one of his books on virtue. He says, There are a good many things out there in the wider world which, because of God's goodness and creation, really are true and upright and pure and attractive and well-reputed and virtuous and praiseworthy. Christians should not be mealy-mouthed about this. It means we shouldn't withhold praise. We should be the first to give praise where praise is due, and equally, to think through these things, to ponder them, to inquire how they work and the effects that they have. So think about some of the good things around you. What are the things in our world that we can be setting our minds upon when you listen to a great piece of music like Here Comes the Sun? That is worth setting your mind upon, isn't it, Grant? That, I mean, it doesn't have to always be a Christian song. Because there is goodness in many different places. And we can set our minds upon good things that can help to cultivate a healthy thought life. When you see something that is aesthetically uh, beautiful, when you see beauty in the world, you see creation, you see a beautiful sunset. As I drove up Glenfield Road this morning, just starting to see the sun come up over the top of Ringitoto. Beautiful. Now, that is worth setting your mind upon. That's a good thing in the world, Right? You see, an incredible piece of engineering, right? That is, isn't it, Josh, worthy of setting your mind upon, right? Every time I sit in a plane, it's like, how does this work? It's amazing. I don't understand physics. It's a mystery to me. It's like magic. This thing just floats in the air. This should not happen. It is way too heavy. How does this happen? It's incredible. But you can set your mind upon that, inquire after that, and appreciate the human genius that developed The laws, not the laws of aerodynamics, but the way of applying these laws of aerodynamics and physics that enable uh, aircraft to be created. That is worth setting your mind upon. Set your mind upon the good things when you see an amazing athlete like Nadal on the tennis court. That is a good thing. That is worthy of setting your mind upon. That's athletic brilliance, right? Um, You're watching Lego Masters, this amazing creation. How, How do they come up with that stuff? That is worthy and excellent. Set your mind upon that. You're eating potato chips. <laughs> You're like, how do they make potato chips taste like lasagna? That's incredible, right? How I don't even understand the science behind that, but that is so good. That, that's every one of those things right there on that list. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious, but you, you find the things around you. I just In everyday, ordinary ways, you'll find something that matches up with everything on that list. So find some things and think about those things and wonder and ponder and ruminate and cogitate on those things a little bit more. Now, you know the negative side of all this, right? You know what's coming. Alongside all of the good things, and we have to affirm the good, but there is a truckload of rubbish that we also need to guard our minds against. And the more rubbish and filth and garbage that you allow to come in through your senses, the more overgrown the garden of your mind is going to become. And let's be honest, most of it comes through screens. Most of the rubbish that we're getting in our minds, a lot of the time is coming to us one way or another through screens. So I would encourage you as an individual or as a couple or as a family to use that list as a grid to evaluate some of your online activity and some of your viewing and some of your on-screen life. All right, that's going to be difficult. That could be painful. But just think about... What you're looking at every day on social media. How, how much are all those videos you're watching on TikTok lining up with that list? Right, I didn't make the list. Right, Paul made the list. Don't blame me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Right, You make the application. How many of those videos you've watched this week, honestly, can you say, are really the kinds of things you want to be putting into your mind? Uh, how much of just the surfing around the internet and randomly searching for stuff in Google is really that helpful for you in filling your mind with good things. It's gone really quiet all of a sudden in here. What about the TV programs you watch? What about the movies? Now listen, I'm not trying to be puritanical about this. Okay, I'm not saying we should never watch anything that's got a swear word in it. We never watch anything that's got any violence in it. No, you need to decide where you're going to draw the lines. We each need to have discernment about these things. I think the problem with evangelical Christians is we've gone so far the other direction, we don't have any filter. We don't even care. We just become completely like the world. We just watch anything. We need to bring this back and reclaim some ground and at least have a filter. How many of the TV programs? How many of the movies in the last week that you've watched? Honestly reflect any of those values to any degree. I think we need to protect our children in this regard, parents, is that right? I think we can be more proactive in thinking about how much of this is a filter for what we're allowing our kids to watch on screen. I'm just amazed by the things that some parents let their children watch. I'm not talking about anyone in this church. I'm just saying in general, I think about our kids and I think about their friends and frankly, it is just shocking. That what what goes for kids to be able to just sit there and watch things with a con just even the content advisory being several years beyond the age of that child so what is happening now I'm probably becoming critical now of other parents and now my thought life's gone down a bad path but you come back to your children and think about what is helpful for them one of the things Anna and I have found helpful is a website called common sense media uh, it's not perfect but it provides a, a really good rundown of everything that's in a in a TV program or in a movie, uh, with a recommended age rating. It's only recommended, and sometimes we've followed it and sometimes we haven't, but it's a lot more than what you're just going to get on a content advisory. And even to have that in front of you and then just take a moment to think about it before just sitting your child down in front of it is a really good process because our kids are not going to think of this thing for themselves, at least not without a lot of formation. Our kids aren't. They're going to want to watch everything. They do. And they think we're the worst people in the world for ever suggesting that they couldn't watch whatever they want to watch. But this is our responsibility, parents, is to say, I I am responsible for helping to form the life of the mind in this child. When they don't have the maturity to do this yet, and there are not going to be a lot of other parents out there who are going to be supportive. So as Christian parents, we need to hang together on this and support each other and have each other's back and be talking about these things together. But parents, you can be intentional. Again, I'm not saying all well, this to guilt trip you. Please don't, don't hear that. I'm saying this to, I hope, give you a sense of some next steps that you can take to begin thinking about these virtues and how they apply to your life, your mind, and the minds of your children if you have kids. So as we, as we as we wrap this up and we come back to just thinking about these qualities, I want you to think about your life, your mind as a garden. And I want you to think about that garden and just take a minute to think about what's growing right now in that garden. And perhaps why don't we do this as, as just a, a time of quiet reflection and even a time of prayer. Just You may want to just close your eyes now and let's just think about what's being planted and what's growing right now in the garden of our minds. Just take a minute and think. What is... What is, growing, what is growing well for you now? So what are, the, what are some of the things that you're thinking, some of the thoughts, some of the self-talk that's good? What, what's, what's, what are the good flowers in that garden? What are the good fruit trees in that garden? And then think about what is some of the stuff in that garden of your mind that needs to be ripped out? Where are the weeds? Where are the noxious weeds that are just taking over Everything. Where are the thorns and the thistles in the garden of your mind that are starting to choke out the good plants? Where's the grass become overgrown? Where have the hedges become overgrown? Where have things just got away on you? And right now as we think about this, I want you to picture Jesus coming into your mind as a gardener. Just imagine Jesus coming in there with his gardening tools and saying, I want to do some work in this garden. And just imagine Jesus starting to pull out some of those weeds that are there. And Jesus, we invite you to do this now. We just acknowledge your presence and invite you, Jesus. We invite you into our minds now, Jesus. And we want to say, God, would you just start ripping out those things that don't belong there? And God, maybe they've come from places and sources that have been really painful and really traumatic. But God, we want to pray you just bring a renewal into our minds. Start ripping out the thoughts, God, the thoughts that just aren't true, thoughts that just aren't right, thoughts that just aren't lovely and aren't edifying, and thoughts that aren't pure. God, would you just start ripping out those weeds? And then Jesus, would you begin planting new things in our mind? We just picture you doing this now, Jesus, just coming and planting new seeds. New seeds in the soil of our mind. Jesus, would you plant thoughts that are good? Would you plant thoughts that are true? Would you plant thoughts, Jesus, that are excellent? That are truly praiseworthy, God. Just plant them deep in the soil of our minds, Jesus, and, and then water them and make them grow. And keep showing us, God, how we can keep nurturing those plants, those plantings that you've put there. We can keep watering them, God. Keep feeding them. Jesus, we want to invite you into our minds, not just in this moment, but now from this time onwards, and pray that you would help us to cultivate a healthy garden in our minds. God, would you show us what it means to love you, not just with our heart, and not just with our soul, but with all of our mind. For your glory we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.